Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff. Today, I've got two very important questions to ask you guys. Do you guys train at a McDojo? And how culty is your gym? Now, chill out. I'm not saying you train at a McDojo and that your gym's a cult. But I do think pretty much every gym in the world has at least one aspect or one thing that they do that could be perceived as being kind of culty and kind of McDojo-y. Your gym falls somewhere on this scale, whether it's very, very low or maybe medium, even kind of high. Some of the best gyms in the world with the best instructors and competitors have a lot of culty aspects to them. I've seen it. And some of them practice a couple of kind of McDojo-y things. And so I want to break this down to you guys, kind of what I perceive as being McDojo-y, especially in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world and especially what I think some culty behavior is in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world. So now first, we got to define what is a McDojo. Now, McDojo in the traditional sense is when a martial art has been watered down. So someone has taken a martial art, they've watered it down, they've made it ineffective. I think the biggest thing is the instructor claims to be an expert in something he is not. And they make claims that they can take a student, particularly claims like, hey, if you give me three years, you'll be a black belt and you'll be a killer. You will never have to worry about self-defense situations again. If somebody tries to fight you, you'll easily be able to dismantle them and you'll even be able to beat multiple opponents. And whenever you start to hear these claims, you should really run to the hills, especially if they're claiming you can do this in, you know, two days a week and two years, I'll have you to where you can beat two or three people in a bar fight. Run for the hills. Now, McDojo's, they've become very popular in the traditional martial, uh, martial arts scene. There's just so many black belts out there. I think everybody knows a karate or taekwondo black belt. And people will be shocked that there's some pretty good money to be made in traditional martial arts. If you run your business in a decent way, if you can get to 50 to 150 students, like you can make a decent little living. And you can also have power over a group of people. So I think people sometimes wonder, like, why would somebody want to create a McDojo? Man. Running a McDojo wouldn't be half bad. You don't have to train that hard. You get power over a group of students, and you can charge them a pretty decent uh, amount of money, and you can make a decent amount of money, especially if you're, uh, you know, you got a small family, if you're just a guy and a wife running it. Like, you, you can make a decent living that way. Now, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu hasn't seen full out, full fledged McDojos. I've never seen a McNojo. I've heard of a couple, but they get shut down really quickly. Whenever you make a claim, if you move to a new city and you want to start a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school, there is a policing that takes place in the Jiu-Jitsu community. There are videos out there of guys going and calling out guys that have not earned a legitimate rank from a legitimate person. I've seen it happen in New York City, in Florida, in the middle of Illinois. Like, There's plenty of these guys that are being called out, and they have to remove that, or you know, they, they can't claim to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. 
since most of you train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm sure almost all of you train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in some form or fashion, I can almost guarantee you're not training at a full-fledged McDojo. It just It's not a thing in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu quite yet. Now, there will be a day where there are McDojos, and there are gyms out there that have some McDojo qualities, some more than others, but no full-fledged McDojos. Now, in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu scene, since we're, again, assuming that your instructor is a legit black belt or a legit rank underneath a legit black belt, and they have trained uh, for a specific amount of time, I think the biggest thing you have to look at is, have you ever rolled with your instructor? How often do you see your instructor roll? So... If you're not at a world-class gym, right? So if you have world-class competitors out there, even if that instructor does not roll, so like John Donahue, nobody is questioning whether John Donahue runs a McDojo. Now, he doesn't roll with his students, so that is my biggest criteria for, hey, is this place a McDojo? But if they're creating world-class competitors, obviously they're not a McDojo. Even just competitors that go out there and have success on the local scene. That place isn't a McDojo. So if you train underneath a 63-year-old black belt and they very, very, uh, very, very rarely ever roll and you've never rolled with them, but you've got plenty of guys that go out and have success on the local scene. You you know, people go out and they've won a couple of MMA fights and they've won a couple of Nagas. Like, you're fine. You're not training at a McDojo. Um, but... If your instructor doesn't roll and then nobody competes at your gym, or if they do, they always get terrible results, you really need to question the level of the place that you're training at. For me, skill acquisition and your level of happiness really dictate you know, how good you, you know, your gym is and if you should be training there. Like if you're super, super happy, you're adamant about your happiness with your instructor, the relationship you have with them and your teammates, and you feel like you're improving and getting better, then does it really matter, you know? If you're if you do have a couple of these other your your gym has a couple of these other more McDojo aspects. Because the second thing I really look at is is there a uniform policy? Are you nickel and diming? Are you being nickeled and dimed? So like at our gym, there isn't a uniform policy. We do offer rash guards and shorts and t-shirts and everything, but our students are not required to buy them. They never have been required to buy them. We've thought about making it a requirement for our kids' class to buy our rash guard and shorts, but we decided not to do that. We just do not want to charge uh, nickel and dime and charge our students, uh, you know, just constantly asking them for money. They already pay a membership fee and we just we don't want to go any more than that now at our gym they the kids do have to wear geese so that's a little tick on our side like they do have to wear geese they have to wear their belts so that's kind of a little tick at 10th planet decatur like oh, that's kind of mcdojoey but very very uh, on the very very small side of the mcdojo scale but if you're required to constantly buy new geese, constantly buy new um, you know, rash guards, and hey, our school just came out with a new gi, we want everyone to buy it, 
to me, that starts to look, look suspect. And I know some phenomenal gyms worldwide that require their students all to have the newest gear. Atos HQ requires even visitors to wear their uh, you know, team name and you know whether it's rent the rash guards or rent the gi with the Atos logo on it or outright buy it. Like you have to wear that. And I think that's kind of weird. I don't like that. Now, some people love that. Some people love the uniformity. Like they want to be at a gym where everybody's wearing the same thing. But I think that's kind of lame. Charging people, especially people that do not train at the gym, to wear a rash guard that, you know, 20 bucks to, to rent a rash guard for the day. Like that's just lame. Really lame. Another question I'd ask you is, do you have to pay for belt ranks? Do you have to take private lessons or group private lessons before you get ranked? Do you have to go to seminars? Some gyms force their students to go to seminars. Like, hey, we're having a gym, uh, we're having this guy in, you have to come. No, you have to come. Well, I can't go, like, I'm going to be at this wedding, like, no, 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 reschedule it. Like I know places that force their students to go. And if they do not go, they are punished. And that punishment might be they don't get ranked. They, um, you know, they get kind of ostracized for missing because they're hurting the gym. They didn't do what was best for the gym. The instructor wants everyone to come to the seminar. Same type of school also is charging for belt ranks. Hey, I think you're ready for this belt rank. But to get this bell, you got to take a private lesson with me. That private lesson is going to be full price. You got to pay two hundred dollars. Um, a lot of places will give this like you got to take the blue belt private lesson. I just want to make sure that you know you 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 understand these techniques before I promote you to blue belt. And if you don't, I'll teach them to you. And usually it's like a two hour private lesson where you're going over a handful of techniques. And again, some people really like that. Some people want to, hey, I want to make sure that I know the techniques that my instructor wants me to know before I get promoted. So if that's you, that's no problem. But at the same time, I think it's kind of lame for an instructor to not know that. Like I can watch my students roll over the course of a week and have a really clear understanding of their level of gain. Even like an out-of-towner, if like a blue belt visits for a week and if I watch him roll, like if I specifically was like, hey, I'm going to watch this, this, this person roll and I'm going to break down their game, I'd easily be able to do that. I'd have a really clear understanding of what they knew and didn't know, where their strengths and weaknesses were. I wouldn't charge my student $200 just to see like, huh, I wonder if like how his elbow escape is. I could easily do that by just watching them roll or rolling with them and feeling or seeing how good it was in, uh, during a live round. But a lot of schools do this. It's just a way for their instructor to earn extra money. I really look at those as being the big aspects that I've seen in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Very rarely have I questioned again whether like a legit instructor was being McDojo-y as long as they trained. But if the head instructor doesn't train, again, move right now to the, well, do their students compete? Okay, they compete. They have some success. You know, I've seen them win teen divisions or I've seen them go out and compete and do pretty well at Nagas. Then no question at all. That instructor chooses not to roll, chooses just to study 
and teach techniques, then there's no problem. Again, John Donahue, the greatest instructor in the world right now, arguably the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner in the world, doesn't roll. So if he can do it, why can't somebody else? The nickel and diming, though, is pretty common, especially at some of these giant academies. I know a lot of people complain you know, about their visits to Atos or even people that have trained at Atos for a year that were like, yeah, it just got ridiculous. I felt like I was paying for a new pair of rash guard and, and whether it was tights or shorts every other month. I constantly had to buy the new gi. A new gi, especially if you're training gi and no gi, I mean, you're talking about an extra $1,000 a year if you're having to buy multiple sets, especially if you train multiple days. Because if you can only wear an Atos gi, you might have to buy three of those bad boys. And we're talking about $600 right there. Now you got to buy the no gi sets because during ADCC season, you're going to have to train more no gi. Well, you're looking at another couple hundred dollars. I mean, again, you're looking at $1,000 on top of a $200 membership. It's a good business and a good way for schools to get money. And I don't know. I mean, I'm against it. But at the same time, I understand the arguments for it. And again, there are students that really like that uniformality. They like coming in. They like seeing everybody in the same stuff. They like feeling a part of that. Now, the bigger question is, how culty is your gym? Because this is way more common in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and it's really common in all martial arts. It's fu- It's funny. I was going to say it's tough, and it came out as funny or, or something weird. But anyways, it, it's it's tough to uh, really pinpoint uh, true cults in the martial arts world because there are a lot of schools that have some culty behaviors. And I kind of start leaning towards that charging nickel and diming your students is also being kind of culty. Like if you're requiring somebody to wear what you want them to wear, there is no ands, ifs, or but about it. You have to wear our rash guard. You have to wear our gi. In my opinion, it's the beginning to creating a group culture that is dictated by the higher ups. Whether it's an instructor or a group of instructors, the leadership is dictating, starting to dictate decisions that are being made. And look, on the culty scale, having a uniform at your school is very, very low down the culty scale. Obviously, when we're talking about an instructor that's starting to make decisions in his students, his or her students' lives, we have an instructor that's telling them what to do, who to date, what job they should have, when they should come and train, what they should, you know, like making mental health decisions, stuff like that. That's when we're starting to get very, very high up the culty scale. But at the same time, as an instructor, you're going to have students that want to talk about their problems. They want to ask you questions. They want to ask for advice. When does it start to look culty? In my opinion, it's when you're going out of your way to interfere in your students' lives. My door is always open, but I also am very honest in what I'm capable of answering and not answering. So there are times I've told students like, look, I'm not a mental health professor, uh, professional. I'm not a counselor. You know, I, I can, I can kind of ask you some questions like, are you happy? Do you like your job? Oh, if you didn't, if you quit your job, what would you look to do? What would make you happy? 
But if you're coming in and just going, you know, hey, I'm thinking about getting a divorce, me and my partner are having issues, they're, you know, they're on drugs or, you know, I found out that they're, you know, abusing this or that, like, what should I do? I'm going, I'm just a jujitsu guy. I'm not qualified to answer. Like, I don't know what you should do. I'm here for you, and I want you to come and train and get healthy through this beautiful art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But I don't know what course of action you should take for, you know, your husband or wife or, you know, how that's going to affect your child or I don't know. But I can reference you to a couple of, of counselors or mental health professionals that will definitely help you. And that's been a way, you know, that, that I've helped people or that people have been helped through our gym is just me or Brandon going, hey, like, why don't you go talk to this person? Go talk to them. They're going to really be able to answer and, like, you know, be there for you and help you deal with this situation. Now, if somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I'm having relationship issues, I'm unhappy with my partner, then I might give a little bit of advice. But at the same time, I avoid doing that, and I never go out of my way to do that. But I've heard of gyms, and I've been around a couple of gyms that kind of poke their head in relationships. They try and tell people who they can and can't date. They try and tell their students what they can do, what they should be doing outside of their gym. And if you constantly feel like your gym, your instructor is trying to act like your parent, then you should really start to, to kind of look at that culty scale and go, uh, maybe this place is a little bit on the, it's, it's past the halfway point. We're starting to get to medium to even medium high. And this is tricky, you know, because in the martial art world, people come in and they're blown away. Like a lot of times, the instructor, especially if they are super good, they are super qualified, they truly are an expert at their craft, people respect that. And people start to look at that person as a mentor, even as a hero. I mean, people really look up to me and Brandon. People want aspects of me and Brandon's lives. And it would be pretty easy to take advantage. Like there are definitely like times like we could take advantage of people because they look to us for guidance. And some martial art gyms or some instructors, they take that that power and they use it for to kind of grow their own power, right? Uh, power is outside of money, right? Like power is one of those things that people are just drawn to. Some people get get that feeling or kind of get that high from having the ability to kind of tell somebody what they can and can't do. And it starts off as, as maybe being not something that, uh, you know, they're trying to take advantage of another person. But you'll find out that as they continue to get more and more power, that their motivations start to get more and more selfish. And so I would really just, again, kind of ask that question, like, how involved is your instructor in your life? Now, if you've been with the same instructor for 12 years, well, I assume that person, you know, you have a much deeper and closer relationship to them than somebody that you just met six months ago. You just started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You're a three-stripe white belt. And if your instructor is, like, heavily involved in your personal life, like, that's pretty weird to me. Now, me and Brandon, I mean, my instructor, the guy that ranked me to black belt, like, he's basically my brother, you know. I look at Brandon as family. 
So he's definitely way more. He's like my employer. Like I run his gym. Um, you know, me and his wife work out together. We're super close. Like I see them as part of, you know, being family members. And so, you know, again, there's levels to the relationship, right? If you've been and you're a brown belt underneath your instructor, like, yes, there's going to be certain things that uh, you're going to be more comfortable of telling and having your instructor like a part of your life than, you know, a guy you met six months ago or somebody you met a year ago. Now, some people do come into martial arts, though, as a, you know, looking for guidance. And so we'll have students come in sometimes and they'll, kind of get the jujitsu bug they're really happy they found something super legit and then they're coming in going hey what diet should i eat hey what should i do about this situation hey you're good at this give me advice on that and i'm like that doesn't work like that i'm really good at three or four things in my life but outside of that i'm just as bad as everybody else (laughs) i'm just trying to get by i do not know anything about a lot of stuff. It'd be very easy for me to try and black belt situations that arise, but instead it's way better. My policy is to just say, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm being honest. You should go ask somebody else about that. Now, another big thing, uh, aspect of a culty gym is if they do not, accept visitors if they're constantly bad mouthing other gyms if they're constantly proclaiming that they are the best and that everybody else in the area sucks and they're not worth training with there's nothing you can learn from them because if you train here you are getting the purest jujitsu you're getting the purest jujitsu in the area or in the state or in the country and any outside knowledge is useless One of my friends a long time ago trained at a Pedro Sauer affiliate. Now, I'm not saying this is about all Pedro Sauer affiliates. I know a handful of Pedro Sauer black belts that are phenomenal practitioners that whether they run really good schools or they train at really good schools, like nothing but respect. Like Pedro Sauer, super legit beast. But I've also known a couple Pedro Sauer affiliates and one that my friend was training at that was super culty. And... They did a lot of really culty practices, but he would, the instructor would say that he didn't want his students learning anything that didn't come from his mouth, Pedro Sauer's mouth, and Hicks and Gracie's mouth. Now, that's a pretty, you know, you're talking about Pedro Sauer and Hicks and Gracie, two of the OGs, two guys that are two of the best black belts ever, like, I get it, you know, you want your students to to learn from your lineage and, you know. But to claim that any knowledge outside of those guys isn't real jujitsu, because that's what he was claiming. He was like, look, Eddie Bravo, anybody else like that, those guys are frauds. It was almost like calling them false prophets. Like, Eddie Bravo is a false prophet. If you listen to him, you will go down a dark path. You'll start smoking weed and looking up conspiracy videos all day, every day. Your wife will, you know, you and your wife will get divorced, stuff like that. Just insane stuff. That's what he would kind of tell his students. And, you know, he would, hey, we're having Henner and here on Gracie and you have to come. We're charging $300. Hey, 
there's this tournament going on nearby, but it's not helio approved. It doesn't meet the helio filter. And so we're not going like we don't do competitions because it doesn't promote the self-defense jujitsu that Hicks and Gracie preaches about like that's really culty when you're, uh, you know, schools claiming that that jujitsu school an hour away sucks. They're not good. Don't go cross train there. I've heard people that are like, yeah, my instructor, like when I go on trips, like business trips, they tell me not to train because it just wouldn't be worth my time. It's like, ah, oh, man, if your instructor's saying that, like that's really weird to me. Now, when there's a group um, aspect, and sometimes like gyms are very close knit, especially if you're at a smaller gym that's been around a long time, you'll find that some people have been a part of that gym for you know years. And it's kind of become their second family. And I'm always questioning, you know, a gym. And I would ask you, like, how inclusive is your gym? Is a new person welcome? If a new person comes in, how long does it take for them to feel like they are just one of the guys or one of the girls, that they belong there? Because there's a lot of gyms, and again, gyms that are very, very good. They teach really, really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu or really, really good martial arts that do not make new students feel welcome. It takes a very long time to enter the inner circle. Students are treated differently. Some students are, you know, kind of seen as leaders or in leadership roles. And it, it really doesn't even have to do with skill. It has to do with they follow what the instructor wants. They do and they are kind of clones of the instructor. And I think that is very off-putting. And I know a handful of people that have tried these gyms out. They've went and people didn't talk to them. You know, they, they were a brand new person and nobody even came up and introduced themselves. The instructor didn't come up and introduce themselves. The students didn't come up and introduce themselves. When it was time for class to start, they were just left standing on the sideline to make, I mean, just to look and feel like an idiot. If your school does that, if your school has a hard time getting new students to stay, if your school doesn't uh, you know, allow visitors, doesn't want visitors, if your school doesn't want you cross-training, doesn't want you going out and, hey, I want to go 45 minutes away to try out this school. I want to go to their open mat and roll with some of their guys. I just want to go out and, and test and, and see some different types of jiu-jitsu. Then it's looking really culty. You're definitely a higher up on that culty scale. And skill sometimes, right? Like, there's a price to be paid sometimes to learn from a very skilled individual. There are some really weird experts in martial arts. Like there are some dudes I know that are insanely high-level black belts that are super weird. I mean, you could just say Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo is pretty darn weird. I think Eddie's a weird, like a crazy genius. Some things Eddie does and says, I'm like, dude, he is a genius. He can see the future. Other things Eddie says and does, I'm like, I that's not very, that didn't come out very well, or that was a really bad idea, or that thing he said was not something I endorse. <laughs> but Eddie has always had a very open-minded policy. Uh, you know, Tenth Planet has always been very, very open-minded in the jiu-jitsu and just outside of beliefs. Like, you can be any religion, you can think any crazy conspiracy, 
and there's really not a lot of requirements other than you got to roll and you got to you got to show and test yourself out on the mat. Eddie wants everyone to compete. You don't have to compete, but you know, that's what he wants. But there's some really really high level dudes that feel like they're the best, you know, that that there's some some hoops you have to go through to train with them. There's some things you have to do that they require to learn from them. And some people are willing to pay the price. And I don't want to say any names because I don't want to call anybody out. But I've heard some weird things that some really top-level guys have made their students do or, or you know, like made some, some hoops they made their students jump through to learn secret knowledge or, or you know, get private attention from them. And some people are okay with that. Some people are like, look, I want to learn from this person. I want what this person has. I'm willing to for a couple of years do some things that are kind of weird call this person a name that you know nobody else is called in the martial arts world but i'll call them that because i want what they have i want to learn and i want some aspects of their martial art knowledge and i think as long as you're like aware of that there's no problem but I think the longer you're in an uh, atmosphere like that, the, the more and like slowly you start to change into being manipulated. You slowly start to, you know, things that you wouldn't have been okay with a couple of years ago, you're starting to allow. You're starting to allow this person to have more and more, um, you know, say on what you do and don't do. You start to kind of change just a little bit. Maybe not fundamentally, but you'll find that you're starting to change. You're starting to act a little bit differently. You're starting to talk a little bit differently. And I definitely think that it's just something people need to be aware of. Because, again, there are times people look at somebody's skill and they go, oh, they're really good at martial arts. They must be a really good person. They're a black belt. They must be honest. They believe that credo that is said in gyms, uh, kids' classes um, in gyms all across the world where they're like, courage, honor, self-respect, you know. Black belts are douchebags. Black belts will take advantage of you. Black belts have been sexually assaulting their students. I mean, that happens all the time. Black belts nickel and dime their students, make them pay an exorbitant price for something they really shouldn't have to pay for. So... I just want you guys to be aware of those are kind of the main things. Now, you know, we're talking about true cults and true McDojos. I don't think there there's any true cult in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I don't think I've never heard of it like a true cult in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Just gyms that have some culty things, some more than others. Same thing with McDojos. I do not know of any McDojos in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I know some gyms that have some McDojo aspects. Our gym at 10th Planet Decatur is not perfect. We are not perfect. There have been times that we're like, oh, yeah, let's like require every student to buy this T-shirt, you know. I think we did that one time. You know, very little. But we are very, very low down on the cult and the McDojo scale. And we definitely have, uh, you know, the skills that uh, make students want to train here. And we have an atmosphere that makes students want to train here. But I'll end this podcast with, saying, podcast with saying this. If you are truly happy at your gym, you like, you don't mind paying a uniform cost or you don't mind paying, uh, you know, required 
quarterly private lesson from your instructor. If you don't mind some of these things, if you're happy and you like the relationship you have with your instructor and your teammates, then don't worry about it. If you're improving, hey, I know that I'm improving. I go and train with other people, I'm improving. Or I go out and compete, I know that I'm improving. Then who cares? All right. I just want you guys to be happy and I want you guys to continue to improve in and outside of the mat room. I'm getting ready to go on a week vacation. I will be at the beach. It's a family reunion, so there's going to be tons of scaffs there. I cannot wait. I'll probably do a couple of podcasts while I'm gone, but I don't know. I'm going to really take a week off. I'm not going to tr- do any jujitsu. I'm not going to try and find a gym down there. I always find about every four months I need a week off. So I'd say every year I take about three solid weeks off from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu where I'm not on the mat and I'm trying not to think about it. Until next time, guys, I love and appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Peace.